everyone. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Fridays. I'm Taylor Dennis, Senior Wealth Design Specialist and Vice President at Altius Financial. And I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Williams, Founder and President of Altius Financial. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to our podcast. And hopefully you're sharing this stuff. Yeah. So today's episode, and I, I hope I don't mess this up. It's kind of a bit of a tongue twister, but it's Twitter takeovers and talking freely. With all the news lately about Elon Musk buying Twitter, we thought it'd be a great chance to talk about the differences and the confusions that people have around public versus private companies, and maybe share and really explore the whole Twitter thing as one of our examples. Yeah, I think that that might be interesting. It's kind of topical right now. People are watching the news, uh, wondering about this whole Twitter thing, Elon Musk taking over the company. And it's a perfect example to remind people about the differences between a private company and a public company. Who knows whether he's going to take it private? We can talk about that some. Um, but the that issue of you know people taking over companies and what they do with them, um, I think that might be an interesting idea. But first, we want to do our little uh, disclaimer. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of investment advice or financial planning. No advisor-client relationship is formed by the broadcasting of this episode or your listening of what we say. The use of this information or any materials linked to this podcast is at the user's own risk. The content in this podcast is not meant as a substitute for professional financial advice. If you're needing specific financial advice for your situation, please reach out to your certified financial planner. Or if you're interested in learning more about our firm, our people, or our philosophy, feel free to reach out to us through our website, which is altiusfinancial.com, or contact us directly by email at taylor at altiusfinancial.com or michael at altiusfinancial.com. Just so you're aware, that is a-l-t-i-u-s-financial.com. So Mike, what do you think about the whole thing with Elon Musk buying Twitter? Well, it kind of depends on what you're asking me. Are you, are you asking me whether he should? Because there's a lot of people out there, or should be able to. There's a lot of people, you know, everything is so public now and politicized. People are asking, should should this one guy be able to buy this company? Or, or are you asking me if it's a good move for him? Is it a good move for the shareholders, the existing shareholders for Twitter? I mean, are you asking, is this going to be a good thing for the bigger issue of free speech and, you know, the purpose of what Twitter is. So it kind of depends (laughs) on what you're asking, right? Yeah. Well, so I guess I was kind of intending to ask in regards to the public versus private concept and is this really a good strategy from a shareholder perspective or from an investment standpoint? But I, I think in all honesty, all of our listeners probably want to hear the answers to all of those. Yeah, we can get into all of it. I mean, it's, to me, it's been kind of fun to watch. Um, if you ask me whether he should be able to buy it, it's a resounding yes. Um, you know, it's his money. I mean, it's like kind of asking, you know, should you be able to go buy a pair of shoes or should I, should I be able to go buy a car or a house? I mean, if I've got the ability to afford something and it's my money, yeah. I should be able to buy it, right? If there's willing buyer and willing seller. Well, that's the other, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but should Twitter be forced to sell themselves? Because I've, feels that everything I've been listening to makes it sound like Twitter was kind of pushed into a corner and they kind of had to sell. They were like, oh, well, well and that's the thing is, is the only is, option. You know, <laughs> when we say pushed into a corner, what do we mean? And I mean, 
when I when I talk about force, I mean something very specific. I mean, uh, no one is forcing shareholders of Twitter to necessarily sell. Now, the thing is, if you're a minority shareholder, you get outvoted all the time. Yeah, I mean, we we. I mean, we are actually unique in many ways. We actually vote uh, most of our clients' proxies. Some clients choose to vote them themselves. But even, you know, for some of the largest holdings we have for our clients, we don't actually win the vote, (laughs) even though I'm voting the way I think, I think this is the right way or the the way my clients' interests are best represented when when I vote proxy shareholders. So minority shareholders in a company, they get a vote, but they don't get to vote as much as a larger shareholder, and in this case, you know, Elon Musk, we were talking about a little before, you know, how this occurred, yeah. um, but they're not forcing anything. It's, 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 you know, people who are deciding, okay, what am I going to do with my shares? Well, I vote for, you know, no, I don't like Elon Musk's price and I would hold out for more, or I don't want him controlling this company, so I'm not going to vote for that. But uh, no one's being forced to do anything. Uh, that's the difference between you know, a, a, uh, a free market system and one of, of control. And in the, in this case, you know, the shareholders get to decide whether they accept his offer or not. Um, they did, um, and he's been successful, but. Does that mean, cause he was what a 9% shareholder. So he had like one tenth of the entire vote then. Correct? Right. Right. So, so he, he, and this happens all the time where, uh, a, uh, a large or, or, you know, someone who is potentially a large shareholder, who somebody who has a lot of money, yeah, they kind of accumulate shares quietly. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, they've got more shares than anybody, you know, they're surprised by it. Um, and once they get to a certain level, then they have to start disclosing. This is part of what it means to be a public company, a publicly traded company. And this is maybe the best time to make sure I emphasize the distinction between a publicly traded company, privately held company that's not on the public markets. Both cases, you know, a company that's on the stock market, the stock exchange, and is traded in the public markets that way is still private property. So if you own shares of, you know, Microsoft, just as an example, or if you own shares of Twitter, yeah, though even though you might have ten or twenty shares or a hundred shares or something really minority, yeah, those shares, whatever they are, you know, I don't know how small they are, they're your shares, they're your property, and you get to decide what to do with them. Mm-hmm. You can buy them or sell them or you know, throw them in the trash if you want. You got to do whatever you want with those shares. And the distinction between the a privately held company is that there aren't, there isn't a public market where the they're listed on an exchange and they're traded regularly. Both cases, they're private property, and the and the person who owns those shares, whether they're a large shareholder or a hundred percent shareholder. I mean, I'm a, I'm I used to be a hundred percent shareholder of Altius, and now I'm still a majority shareholder. And Taylor's a, a minority shareholder. But in both cases, those are our property. Yeah. Um, to make the point further, I mean, if you started making lots of noises and saying you were going to vote <laughs> your shares differently, well, you could vote them, but I still have the majority shareholders, and that's where yeah. you know the majority kind of voting thing does make a difference. But he was beginning to accumulate shares, and he came up with nine percent of them. And then there, then they, you know, had to find out because of the disclosure that happens. And and then the board of Twitter said, well, well, okay, we're <laughs> going to, we're going to put you on the board. But he yeah. realized that, wait, only having this many shares and then becoming a board member means I can't get more shares and I won't have control. 
Yeah. I think it's limiting him to, I think they said you can only get up to like 14%. 14 to 15%. Because they didn't want him to be able to manipulate things. They didn't want, if they put him on the board, they didn't want him to control the board. Right. And that's what he's looking for. He's wanting to control the company. And just being a board member doesn't give you full control. But if you own all the shares or if you control the majority of the shares, then you now have, you know, the controlling interest and you're the one, you know, you're the big dog who gets to say what happens with the company. And that's evidently what he's looking for. Yeah, definitely. So it gets interesting, you know, if no one cares, if, if I'm selling you some of Altius or if you're going out to buy a car, no one cares about the control there necessarily, but people start to, when they see these big publicly traded companies that have an influence on lots of people, uh, whether the, it's the product they're selling or the voice that they have, then everyone chimes in and says, well, this, this is not the right way. Or especially when it's a company like Twitter that, you know, their whole product is about, you know, talking freely, you know, free speech or being able to communicate your ideas on a social media platform. And, and so now everyone's interested in, in wanting to, you know, chime in and have something to say about it. Yeah. So do, are we thinking that this is likely going to result in more free speech because Twitter has taken a recent perspective of, oh, if I disagree with your free speech, maybe you get blocked or banned or well, they don't you, allow this, these specific words, just the words we want. Yeah. That, and that's a whole other thing is if it's private property, and I just said that it's my view that, you know, when you own shares in a company, it's your property. Yeah. No matter if you're a minority shareholder or a, a majority shareholder, it's your property. And if you're a majority shareholder of a company, do you get to do what you want with that company? And my answer is obviously, yes, it's yours. That's what it means to be, to have private property. You get to control it. And so does he get to influence what they mean by free speech? Um, it, a private company like Twitter maybe has a lot of influence over our culture, at least for right now. They, you know, they may, they're fairly new as a company and they're not that successful. There's a lot of social media companies out there that are having an impact on quote the, you know, the public discourse or the public dialogue, but they can't control speech. You don't have to be a member of uh, Twitter and listen to what those people say. Yeah. And you don't have a right to be on there. I mean, this is, uh, <laughs> this is controversial because yeah. we're get, when we get into the free speech issue, I actually thought it was wonderful. And this will probably take off <laughs> some of my audience or some of our clients even. But uh-huh. I thought it was wonderful that Twitter uh, was able to ban Trump. You know, I thought, <laughs> this is fantastic. I mean, this shows what a free country is. Because. It's private property. Okay. They're not censoring Trump, but Trump doesn't have a right to be on their platform any, right, any more than Trump has a right to come into my house. Okay. So you know, if, if, let's say Trump says, was... I want to go into Mike's house and have a glass of wine with him. Yeah. And I'm president, so I get to. <laughs> he doesn't get to do that. Yeah. It's my property. Okay. Same thing with Twitter. He doesn't, go, he doesn't get to say, okay, I have a right to my tweeting ability on Twitter. Twitter gets to say, no, we don't like what you're saying, so you're out. That's so, the way that it should be treated. In the same sense, yeah, you know, Elon Musk is saying, I have enough economic power that, that's been earned to buy all of, or a you know, majority voting share of Twitter. And now I'm going to change it to be what I would call more free speech. And I'm going to maybe not quote, cancel people as much, or I'm going to allow for other, yeah. you know, differing opinions to be on there before I, uh, uh, you know, block them or de-platform de- them off of Twitter. He, he can do that as well. It's his. If it's his company, he gets to decide. Just as, you know, Jack Dorsey, the, the founder of Twitter and the Twitter board, you know, they had the every right and ability 
to say, no, we're not going to have a president popping off the way Trump did. So in your perspective, free speech or no free speech doesn't really make a difference. It's the fact that this company, if it's held and owned by certain people, the people who own the company have the right to decide what happens and what is posted on that company's site. That's absolutely okay. my perspective. Now that gets into the, you know, the details of some of the other laws that we have. I mean, I think many of the, the issues with regard to publicly traded versus privately held companies are unfortunate and shouldn't be there. Um, they, it's now no longer, if you have a public company, it's now no longer quite your, your private property. Cause they're telling you, you know, you have to ask us permission to get so many shares and you have to do this and that. Um, whereas a private company might say, we don't have the same requirements. That's why a company might go private. And that's my, might be why Elon Musk would actually say, I want to take it private. You know, it's a publicly traded company. And now I own it, you know, I own it outright or I own it, the majority shares and I'm going to fight to take it private. Why would somebody do that? Well, they might do it because they're saying, I don't want to have to have all this requirement to be on an exchange. I don't want to have the public uh, be telling me how to run my company. I want to have less disclosure regarding the finances of it. I want to have it private. Um, and this has been done been done throughout history. I think some of those are false distinctions and it's, it's only the regulatory regime that we have that says, you know, we're going to, if you're on an exchange, we're going to require you to, to do certain things. Um, I think that's, uh, an invasion on the free market and, and we should do away with a lot of that, but no one's asking my opinion. I'm just, giving, <laughs> I'm just giving the examples of, you know, a private company doesn't, isn't required to publicly disclose a lot of information, including financial information while pub, public companies are required to do they that. are required by the SEC for much of that kind of periodic reporting and documentation and that re, you know, that that's that's giving a lot of information out there and costing the company a lot it, it's very expensive to be a public company to be out there and traded that way there are certain advantages obviously but there's it's also very expensive well um, and it it seems like if you're following a lot of companies that have built them their way up and then all of a sudden they hit this point where okay we're a very large company. Now we kind of go over this hill and become public and continue to kind of build. It seems that, that that's oftentimes the trend where it's, okay, small company, small private company, large private company, public company, yeah, ta-da, then you, yeah, IPO, then you just kind of continue to build. It doesn't seem to be a common situation where companies will go private to public to private to public. And so is this kind of an anomaly for like company structuring or is this something that's occurred before? It has occurred before frequently. Um, it's not that frequent that a company goes IPO public and then says, okay, now we want to go back to being private, but that is more frequent today. That's okay. actually the trend. There's more, there's fewer publicly traded companies today than there were 10 years ago. And there's more large companies, large, you know, kind of headline-ish type companies that are saying, no, we, we don't want to be public anymore for any number of reasons. The biggest reasons are because they have all kinds of scrutiny in terms of short-term thinking. And, and sometimes people don't realize, they, they think Wall Street is always short-term greed, profit-sinking. I mean, that, to me, that's, that's really a bogeyman, you know, kind of a straw man for, for not really understanding what motivates entrepreneurs or anyone who's in business. Everyone who's in business is trying to you know, improve the product that they offer and become more profitable, uh, and, and more profitable for the shareholders. And 
if you if you have these quarterly reporting deadlines and all this disclosure that you have to do, sometimes that forces you into thinking only a quarter ahead versus the long term. In fact, that's that's an example. You know, I was going to come up with some examples of companies that have gone private, and, and as I said, that, that's a more frequent trend right now. Companies are going from public to private, and I'd say it's partly because of all the regulations that go on to. We've had regulations on top of regulations on top of regulations, especially over the last twenty or thirty years. Really, ever since the since the New Deal, we've had you know, that was the the linchpin of when we really started regulating the stock market and and public companies and large companies, but certainly over the last 20 or 30 years, we've had, you know, a massive buildup in regulatory requirements. And so companies are deciding, well, we want to think longer term about our shareholders and their profitability. And so we're going to take them off the public market. But a couple of examples, one that we actually experienced at Altius, we were shareholders of Dell Computer. Um, A lot of our clients had Dell Computer in their portfolio. Again, this is, you know, almost, you know, 10 or 12 years ago. And we liked the company. We thought that, you know, it had a good valuation. Michael Dell was a good manager. Um, it met a lot of our criteria. And then we, we thought it was undervalued. And then Michael Dell decided he was going to take it private. And that kind of, that kind of ticked me off because I was like, well, wait, I, I <laughs> like the company. I like what you're doing with it. And now you're going to make me redeem my shares. Um, and as a minority shareholder, even though we had a lot of clients in it, you know, we didn't have a lot of vote. And they gave us a price premium. So we had, all of our clients were holding the shares, you know, at X dollars. And Michael Dell said, well, I'm going to, I will take your shares away from you. I'll, I'll offer your shares uh, for, you know, another 10 or 15% premium on top. Yeah. So that vote went through. He took the company private. And I think it was probably maybe five years or so that he did a lot of different things that he probably couldn't have done in terms of a public company. And then he took it public again. Um, so this does happen where companies go from private to public to private to public. Um, it's, it's a, it's a thing that doesn't happen that frequently, but you know, managers are trying, if they're really looking out for their shareholders, uh, and again, he wasn't looking out for me and our clients. I mean, because we weren't the majority shareholders, there were other shareholders. I think that he was obviously a, a, a large shareholder and there was a company by the name of Silver Lake Partners who who was a large shareholder in Dell as well. And he was looking out for the majority shareholders and as he should be. And, uh, and he was able to manage it so that it, it became more viable as a public company. Well, and so when he did this, was it just him by himself? Cause it sounds like when these public companies are choosing to go private again, um, it seems like that transition is typically done by one very wealthy individual who wants to take the entire company. Is it ever done by a group of individuals that it's say- It's always a group. I mean, the thing is okay. that, that it's interesting how the, the, the news media, and in one sense, it's great. We have this face, Elon Musk or Michael Dell or whoever it is, and they are really the drivers. I mean, Elon Musk is a, a tremendous, in my view, of a tremendous business person and entrepreneur. Notwithstanding some of his, you know, being subsidized with Tesla, I, I have objections to that, but you got to admire the guy's mind. I mean, he was an incredible uh, uh, engineer, I think. I think he's a good, he's, he's got a good mind from a scientist uh, engineering type of standpoint, but he also is a really good business person. And you have to admire that. And he's created a lot of wealth, uh, you know, and, and he's the face of this movement, but he had to convince, even though he's a billionaire and has lots of money, it's very rare that one person can all of a sudden say, 
I'm going to cash in everything I have because he doesn't have that kind of liquidity. He doesn't have $44 billion just sitting on the sidelines. A lot of his billionaire status is sitting in Tesla stock, right? Yeah. So he's pledging stock to other companies, other banks, other investment groups who are saying, yeah, we'll back you on that. We think that's a good idea. And really at root, that's probably what is the motivation in general. Twitter had not been that well managed. I mean, you can, you can argue uh, with their delisting and censoring, quote, censoring or blocking or canceling people or free speech issues. That's one aspect, right? Yeah. But then their financial performance over the last year or so has really suffered. They, they really haven't been that great of stock to be in. And if you're a shareholder, you're saying, well, maybe I need better management. I need someone who's going to do a better job. And, and that's what at root happens usually with these kinds of takeovers. Someone saying, there's value there that needs to be unlocked. There needs to be better management or better al- allocation of capital. And that's what he's going to do. But he's doing it by convincing, you know, not just himself, because he's saying, well, I'm going to put a lot of, at risk myself. I'm going to, you know, pledge, either pledge a lot of uh, Tesla shares or, you know, take a lot of cash that I have and put it into this company. But he's also convincing lots of other uh, events, investors and bankers and so forth that are saying, okay, we're going to back you on this to come up with the full 44 million to, to do that kind of tender offer. Yeah. Okay. But so kind of circling back to my question, but oftentimes it is like one leader head individual, and then you've got the banking systems that are kind of financing that type yeah. of purchase. Yeah. That, that's usually what happens is you, you know, you, is, is it ever like a split where you'd say, Hey, two best friend business partners that have been through this the whole way through, they want to take their company. Like, I don't know. I can't remember the guy's name. I was thinking the Apple guy. Cause there was the guy, there's. You're talking about jobs? And there's Wozniak? obviously jobs, but then, yeah. What's his name? Wozniak. Wozniak? Yeah. 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 I think that's how you say it. Those were the so two say, original, like, say, you know, those were the two original guys who invented, invented the Apple computer. Yeah. So like say. Say Jobs is still around and they decided as a team they wanted to take it private. Is that ever a situation or ha- yeah, that is happens. that really not complicated? That happens. I mean, you, I mean, this is another point I'd like to make, and it sounds like I'm kind of getting off on my uh, capitalism rant a little <laughs> bit, but people think of, when they think about capitalism or free markets like this, it's all about cutthroat competition. And there is an element of that. You, we all get better when we compete. I mean, that's part of what, part of the nature of markets, but markets are much more about collaboration, convincing people, influencing people. Um, It's much more about, you know, who can you sell? Who can you convince? And so in that case, if Jobs is on one side saying we should do this and Wozniak is on the other side, they have to come together. If they both own it 50-50, they've got to come together and say, well, we don't have anyone to break the tie here. Yeah. And a lot of times that's what it is. Who can break the tire? Who can influence somebody else? Who can say, no, I have a better vision for this company. Um, and so it's frequent that you have, you know, partners who start a company together and they grow in wealth and, and then they start to disagree on how think what the direction should be or what the management should be. And then it's a question of, okay, well, who actually has more shares? Who has more property? Who has more private property interest in this entity and their at least under a, a system of justice and free markets and rule of law, you know, if, if they have the majority property, they're, they're going to get more say. And that's, yeah. that's how it works. There's other examples. I mean, I, I know Panera Bread and uh, Hilton Hotels and Kinder Morgan and companies like that. There's, there's an interesting example with Burger King. I mean, most people, most people have at least heard of Burger King, whether they eat, the, <laughs> eat at the restaurant there or not. 
Yeah. Um, but you know, few companies have experienced more than one IPO and and then you know having having gone private and public. Uh, Burger King's one of them. Originally, that it was a private company. A lot of times, these restaurants start out as just a one restaurant shop, right? A Burger King or McDonald's. They were just one place, and then. Yeah. They, yeah, they kind of standardize some things and here's, here's how we cook burgers and here's how we make fries and they expand and then they, they turn it into franchises and then maybe become a public company. And that's what happened with Burger King. They were traded on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, a while ago as, uh, BKC, Burger King company. And, and they raised a bunch of money and, and then anyone who knows a little bit about fast food is they started getting their lunch eaten, so to speak, by McDonald's and yeah. other, and Taco Bell and so forth. And, and so they took it private again, probably to, to have it be managed better. Um, and this is sometimes what happens, a, a big, uh, kind of a, an aggregator or a conglomerate will say, you know, here's an asset, Burger King properties that really could be managed a lot better. And we're going to, we're going to do that, but we're going to take it private and tell them how to do it. And that happened. Uh, the company in this case was, uh, 3G Capital. And, um, and then ultimately they merged with, uh, Tim Horton, which is a coffee company. Um, so that, that's just an interesting story where they went, they were private, they went public, then they came private, then they went public again. Then now they're, they're actually, you know, under a, a bigger restaurant brands international, uh, that owns a number of different brands. Um, um, I think they have Krispy Kreme and stuff like that. Um, but, um. That's an example of a, a, a company that has gone, you know, through a number of iterations as to whether it's public or private. Okay. Well, so back to Twitter. So are we, do we know if Musk took it private or do we know if, um, well, if he, he certainly plans hasn't, to? He hasn't taken it private yet. I mean, he just, he just got the controlling shares and. You know, there's a lot of upheaval and, and this is always something that happens when you have a takeover. People wonder, okay, what's going to, what's he going to do? I think he's made a lot of, uh, noise. I mean, he, he operates differently and he pisses off a lot of people. And, um, so I think he's, I think his intent maybe is to potentially take it private. Um, again, I think it's partly because it hasn't been that well run in terms of the actual shareholder value and the stock price recently. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's hard to say, um, he's acting like he cares most about free speech. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but he also has shareholders to please now. I mean, even though he's going to control it, he won't be the only shareholder. And, and, and he, I don't think he's a kind of person who just wants to have a toy. It's possible. Um, you know, you could easily argue that uh, the fundamental that they offer, that Twitter offers, that, you know, the whole premise that started the company is having, you know, everyone from whether it's Donald Trump or Elon Musk or, uh, you know, Steve Jobs or whoever, or you yeah. and I have a voice, you know, have, a, have some kind of voice that everyone can hear. That's sort of their, the premise, uh, that whole premise of free speech. And you could argue that that's not really been what's been going on. It's a difficult thing. Yeah. Um, well, I think the challenge with the free speech thing is it's like, Okay, yes, you're an American, you have free speech. That doesn't mean you have free platform for speech. Exactly. exactly. Like, that, that's you can a really go important outside point. and stand on your personal private property and say whatever you want. Yeah. But when you start going to public places, when you start going into school, when you start going online, that's when it's, 
I mean, that's not necessarily your space. That's right. No one owns you, owes you a microphone. No one owns yeah. you a me- owes you a megaphone. Uh, no one owes you a Twitter account. Um, yeah. And Twitter has the ability to say, "Here's our terms and conditions." Now, that's a whole nother whole nother rat hole we could go down. Maybe in a future uh, episode <laughs> of podcast, you know, uh, does a social media company can they just willy nilly change their policies and say, "Well, we don't like what you're saying, so we're going to shut you off." I mean, they yeah. they should have to uh, uphold their terms of terms of service, which I think is a big question mark as to whether tw- whether Twitter has or Facebook has or lots of these companies who are being accused of, quote, censorship. They're not censoring, but are they actually up, living up to their actual uh, contract where they said, you know, this is what our service offers. And, and that, you know, that's a whole deep dive into, there's a, something called Section 230 of, you know, a Communications Act that that is kind of treating them specially, whether they're a platform or a publisher or, you know, those are a lot of, uh, legal distinctions about what a company like that does and what they have to do. But I think, you know, in the end we'll probably, I mean, my view is it's probably a positive thing. Um, Elon Musk, uh, is a good mind and, uh, hopefully he'll, he'll, uh, make, uh, Twitter a better company. Yeah. Well, so the bottom line, it sounds like, well, privatization, brings these different benefits. It can also lead to that increased pressure from the new private owners. Um, Most of these deals are taking public companies private through these investment conglomerates. So it's not necessarily just an individual doing on their own. They kind of need a team to get them there. Um, They're going to have still timelines to get things done, make sure that they're managing the company adequately. Um, However, they're not likely going to have the similar regulatory situation that they would have if they were in a public company. Um, so it might be a red flag for companies in cases of mergers and takeovers. Yeah. You know, for employees, if you're, if you're an employee of a company that's not maybe doing that well, and you have somebody who's just taking over, a lot of times they'll try to clean house and, and you know, what that, what that means is terms of, you know, we're going to fire employees who are doing certain kinds of things, or we don't think you're actually adding value. So that can be a red flag for people who are already part of the company or com- the company structure. Sometimes the board members get replaced entirely. Um, and that's the creative destruction part of capitalism where you go, okay, there's new ownership. There's a new sheriff in town, so to speak, <laughs> to say, we're going to, we're going to clean house and make this uh, a better, a better entity. Yeah. But it does sound like the shareholders are going to be the ones to uh, benefit in this kind of situation. And in most of these situations, because they're going to get a premium on their share price. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think ultimately um, the only way shareholders get a premium or a better deal in the long run is if, if the customers, you know, if the people who are participating on this platform, so to speak, or if the people who are, who they're, who are buying advertising on, on uh, Twitter, you know, ultimately the customers need to be served for the shareholders to be served. And, and that's, that's the virtuous cycle of a, a free market system. And so I think the most important part, or maybe one of the most important points that I would make is that, you know, that we make these sort of false distinctions uh, between public companies and private companies. Both of them are private property, and that's one of the major points. Um, so with that, I think we probably should wrap it up. Are you, was there other yeah. things you want? <laughs> that's probably pretty good for yeah. today. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast, everyone. Just a quick reminder, we're in uh, we're doing our terminology Tuesdays. So every, every Tuesday look for, you know, probably a unique take on, on some specific financial term. It's not exactly a glossary that we're offering, but you know, some, 
some definition and how we think of uh, some term that maybe isn't that clear yeah. in the financial markets. And all of our platforms are saved as Altius Financial One Word. So you can look on the social media um, and see it being uh, typed as all one word. You see our logo and our profile picture for Instagram and Facebook. Just remind you that on this podcast, since uh, we'll typically re- release stuff for every couple of weeks, and we want to make sure everyone is getting this information on a weekly basis. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. I hope you capitalize on your Friday, capitalize on your weekend.